you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm Lucy. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. Today is all about childcare and in particular, au pairs. Childcare is one of these things that we all have to have in one form or another if we want to have a career while having a family. I'm fortunate that so far, while I've been at work, it's either been my mum or my husband, Jack, who cares for Lily, but that might not always be the case. I mean, we're about to have another baby, so that may mean that we need to have childcare of some other form, which will be interesting for me. And one of my favourite comments from or takeaways from our episode with Catherine Brooks recently, which we'll link in the show notes, was her comment that when she was growing up, none of her or her siblings went to childcare. So it was something brand new that she had to kind of come to terms with when she was the first one in the family to use a you know traditional form of daycare. Yeah, it's interesting. When you said that, my first thought was, yes, things change. And that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. you didn't use childcare. That's right. I was the same. So when I had my first child, she was at home with me and when I was at home and I only worked three days a week. So the arrangement that I had back then was that two of those days that I was at work, she was with her dad, my husband. And the third day she was with my mum and dad whenever he was around. So it was very much a similar scenario. Grandparents and the other parent were sharing the care. And then when our second child came along, we decided to start using daycare. And part of the reason for that is because I didn't feel that I could burden my parents with two children. It's exactly the thoughts that I've been having. And I think a lot of that depends on the age of your parents when you're having your children, you know, minor um, in their 70s. So it's not as easy for someone who's a grandparent in their 50s to be caring for grandchildren. And it was something that I also liked the idea that my child would have that one-on-one time with my parents. So that's a really nice thing as well to sort of say to the older child, you know what, you'll still get some grandparent time, but your sibling will also get grandparent time. And when you're not getting grandparent time, you get to have a new experience, which is daycare or (laughs) family childcare or sharing care with another person in your little village of women who are doing the juggle, whatever it is. I mean, we go through some of those kind of ideas for childcare in our episode about outsourcing. Yeah, we do. We talk about it there too. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about au pairs. And au pairs is something that I kind of have thought in the back of my mind, oh, maybe I could think about that one day. There's sort of this mysterious solution that we hear talked about, but that a lot of people know little about. So to clear up some of the au pair confusion, we have a lovely guest today, Sue Pember. She's an expert in all things au pairs. And an expert in many other things too. <laughs> yes. Sue is a passionate entrepreneur who challenges herself to make a difference in the life of her friends, clients, and her community. She has founded two companies based on her values of people, passion, and personal touch. And those are Aussie Orientation Services, which includes Aussie Au Pairs, and Me Casa Property Boutique. Through these businesses, Sue has won several awards, including the People's Choice Award in Business News 40 Under 40. One of her business strategies is to use the magic 
that she feels results from the skills of women like us who have left the workforce at some point perhaps to have kids and then want to return, whether it's after a short maternity leave or longer. Sue's done all of this while also being a mother of two. Hi, Sue. Welcome to The Juggle. Thanks for having me. You're a true entrepreneur with lots of different businesses to your name. And one of those ventures and one that we're especially interested in is Aussie Au Pair Services. Before we talk about the business, can you explain for the benefit of our listeners what an au pair is and how are they different to a nanny, for example? Absolutely. I first got into the au pair business a couple of years ago and it was after I'd really stumbled across what an au pair was myself. I have two children. One's 10, a little girl called Charlotte and a boy who's six. And when my boy Leo was born, um, we were really, really busy with one of my other businesses, Aussie Orientation Services at the time. So we had a nanny and having a nanny was awesome but three days a week was costing me about $900 a week wow. um, and it just wasn't sustainable. It was really what we needed and we're in good Perth boom times but when things sort of started to constrict, it was just something that we couldn't do. And my kids are really a bit homebody-ish. They um, really didn't want to go to after-school care or daycare that much. So we really started doing a little bit of a model of a bit of everything. So had a bit of, you know, grandparent help, a bit of daycare help, a bit of nanny help. And then one day at school, I found out about au pairs. And the way an au pair works is usually they're a backpacker. Most of them um, either from Europe or from America or Canada. And they actually come and live in your house. So it's not employment so much, but it's an exchange for room and board for some looking after the kids Mm -hmm. and helping with some light housework around the house. So our au pairs that we have usually do about 30 hours a week, one-on-one looking after kids, picking up trip hazards around the house. (laughs) Um, And in exchange for that, we give them free room and board in our house. So they get their own room, they get their own internet and three meals a day, plus $200 cash. Is it your personal experience of using au pairs that led to you creating Aussie au pairs? Absolutely. I had six au pairs prior to starting my own business and I suppose I really saw uh, a big gap in the market. From the agency that I was using, basically we were just thrown an au pair and told, yes, yeah, sort this out between, between the two of you. And I thought that that was a bit of a, uh, my background before starting my businesses was Apprenticeships Australia. So Mm. really big on mentoring young people and establishing guidelines. And I saw a big opportunity to start the business, have a qualified social worker, which I do, who actually looks, does the proper inductions in-house with au pairs. So I launched it. I launched it. It's um. A bit of a love business, this one. Um, well, I first entered into it because we thought that the government was going to regulate the industry, but it hasn't, which makes it a little bit hard to make money out of. But I keep doing it just because I think that there's such a big need for working parents like ourselves to have great access to this kind of childcare. So tell us a bit about the service that you provide. What is it that you do? So we recruit au pairs from all over the world and then match make them with 
West Australian families. So, you know, to make sure that the needs are met. So we might have an au pair who really wants to work with babies, for example. Mm. You know, it might be a kindy teacher from Germany and wants to come and experience Western Australia. And then we'll get families on board that are located in usually close to public transport and not so much rural because it is a bit harder to get au pairs coming to your house if you are in a rural setting. But we'll match make them to a family, sort of what common interests are, that kind of thing. So one of the questions we had from our listeners was, how can I find an au pair who's studying to be a nurse or studying childcare or something like that? And I think you just might have answered this, but do you find those people? Can we say to you, we're really interested in someone who is doing something like this? Absolutely. But at the moment, with the current regulations that the government puts on working holiday visas, au pairs are as rare as hen's teeth. So uh, it's really hard to get any and to be really picky really brings down your chances of getting an au pair. So at the moment, I have an amazing au pair, Dori, who's a 25-year-old kindy teacher from Bavaria in Germany, and she's incredible. It's all about you have to be very, very appealing as a family. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like we've got a massive skill shortage in au pairs. So for a family to come, like, I only want to have a teacher, or what, mm-hmm. I only want to have a nurse, or it's just like, oh, it's like, Oh, if an au pair has a pulse and they're a good person, then they might be um, what I can offer you. (laughs) (laughs) And what are some of the advantages that people are getting from having au pairs as opposed to the nanny? I mean, we spoke about the financial situation, but what other benefits come from having an au pair? Well, the great thing is young people who want to be au pairs usually really like kids. So the way it works is it's not an employee. It's an arrangement between you and someone living in your house as a goods transfer. They will give you so many hours of housework and looking after the kids. In exchange for that, you will give them a room in your house to live in and some food and a bit of pocket money. So usually they're people who really love kids and it's like having an older brother or sister Mm. or an older child in the household. It's really important to distinguish that an au pair is not a qualified child care option. Um, They are an extra set of hands for the parents. So it works great, especially with my age children, a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. I would not recommend au pairs for people who have really under the age of two children unless they are a nurse or have a childcare background. And why do you say that? Because they're not qualified. So unless you are going to spend lots of time or you are around the house a lot with them, they haven't looked after children before. So the thing is, the way you've got to see an au pair is they're an extra set of hands. They're not a nanny. A nanny is a qualified person who, you know, looks after Mm. babies and children. I've heard some people, you know, friends that have used au pair services, for example, one friend who is rural-based and she commented that it's wonderful because she's around and it is that extra pair of hands and it's company for her and it's having another person who becomes, as I've heard you describe it, Sue, a part of your family. Absolutely. I've got about eight au pairs that we've had within our family and I'm constantly Skyping with them on the other side of the world. I've got two au pairs in my my house at the moment because our French au pair from two years ago has just come back to start studying here and then she'll be going and moving into a share house. Lara, one of our au pairs, is coming back in November. 
Uh, I think three of them I've pretty much married off to West Australian boys. <laughs> um, so yeah, I actually got started matchmaking, I think, for au pairs sort of at the same time. But to me, it's an extension of your family. And that's a big key thing to remember is it's not employment. You're inviting someone to be a part of your family to look after your children. So where we see it sort of come undone is when a lot of host families start treating an au pair like they're an employee like they're a childcare worker in their house and it's got to be a two-way relationship you know they've got to be getting when as a family you go oh let's go have pizza tonight you invite the au pair with you you take them to the movies with you you take them ice skating with you it can't be that giving with their private life but if you get an au pair that's what you've got to do you need to do what about the visa one of the questions we have been asked we asked our listeners for questions for you and we had quite a few actually and one of them in fact a couple of people asked about the time restrictions in terms of how long an au pair can work for you or live with you with your family what do you know um so it's a working holiday visa that most of the au pairs come on and now it's been extended that they can stay with one family for 12 months so that's working a lot better originally it was six months and we also um, seeing and a big thing that I really want to push is more people on student visas. They can actually work up to 20 hours a week in a family. And I'd really love to be seeing that as opposed to, you know, international students living in a share house or living in a homestay environment, which can be extremely expensive, for there to be an exchange of help around the house for free room and board and a bit of pocket money. And that's something that um, I'd like to see more of start happening. So one of the disadvantages that people mention with au pairs is, I think you've already touched on the fact that they are in your house and in your, in your private space. And I, I think that it's clear that, you know, unless you are prepared to have someone in your space, then don't go down this route. Another thing is, again, the finances. People will look at it and say, well, if I go to a childcare centre, I can get government rebates and those kinds of things. Are any incentives or government rebates available when you use au pairs? We are working towards that. It looks like there will be in the non-too-distant future. So hopefully there will be some incentives. But basically what we need is we need it to be to be regulated so we mm. can get some proper control and we can actually find out how many au pairs are au pairing in Australia. Mm. At the moment, it's so much unknown. But when you look at the, the cost, um, au pairs sort of start at about $200 a week for 30 hours a week work. If you're in a rural setting or you're not close to public transport or you have 15 children or if there are due <laughs> elderly children, elderly parents or those kind of things, we often encourage families to do an extra allowance, which might be an extra $50, $100, $150 a week to compensate for those things. If you're in an amazing location, Bondi Beach, Cottesloe Beach, those kind of things, then you're going to be able to get the cream of the crop. But as soon as you start going out of the metropolitan areas, then it's a bit harder to get an au pair on board. Can two families share an au pair? No, I don't like that. I've had a lot of people wanting to do that over the years. And basically there's one residence and that's why the au pair is available at such a a low rate, you know, $200 a week and they do, can do 30 hours a week. It's because they're living in that residence. That's why they're available for that hour. My au pair and others actually do a lot of extra work 
for, you know, neighbours, um, other parents at school, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. All of that work needs to be completed at the minimum wage. Right. So that's your employment scenario. And that's done outside of your relationship with them. That's, was that things like babysitting? or Absolutely. A lot of the times my au pair, um, Dory, she's just actually babysitting for a friend of a friend of mine at the moment and she's looking after twins and she's doing that for, I think, $22 an hour. She's a qualified caregiver. She's mm. a qualified uh, three-year-old kindy teacher from Germany. So the thing is with au pairing, a lot of people think, oh, you know, that's great because, you know, they only get paid $10 an hour. It's like, no, they actually get paid the minimum wage. The minimum wage at the moment is how it stands is $18.49 an hour. If we times that by 30 hours and then we take away $320, which is really the cost of room and board, which is what homestay calculated at, we're left with the $200 week cash. So au pairs actually are receiving the minimum wage as long as, you know, they're getting their three meals a day and they're in a proper board environment. Mm. So when I people go, oh, you know, can I use your au pair for $10 an hour? It's like, ah, no, because (laughs) it doesn't work that way. If you want to use my au pair, it's minimum wage. And, you know, I've had a few grumpy conversations with a few of the mums at school about that. It's like, we have employment law in this country (laughs) for a reason. (laughs) Now, to me, one of the clear advantages of using your service as opposed to finding our au pair ourselves is what you just told us that you have a social worker who does the induction. What are some of the other benefits of using an agency like yours as opposed to just finding someone online? Absolutely. Well, we check them out, their backgrounds. We do a few security checks. And then we also, with that induction, we go through with the family and also the au pair. This is how it works. This is where the expectation is. This is what an au pair can do. This is what they can't do. Mm -hmm. I recently had, we rescued an au pair for a family that had a a mum coming down every morning at 8am with a white glove inspecting the house for dust, you know? Oh, wow. Had another family recently who was expecting the au pair to pick up the dog poo from the garden. That's not an au pair. They're not a slave, you know? They're, yeah. they're here to help with the kids. You've got to treat them as if they're a guest in the house. I've had another au pair that we recently moved into another house because the host family was because they went away for a week, was asking them to do some gardening, pull out weeds, you know. It's not that. It's got to be duties to do with the children only. I've had another au pair with a problem recently that the family was getting them to do about five or six hours ironing a week, and that was for the whole entire family. Getting an au pair to do the school uniform ironing is one thing, but anything that really relates to the parents, you should be paying them an extra amount. For example, my uh, I've got a two-story house and upstairs is sort of the parents' domain and it was I've been so busy with work, you know, there was stuff all over the place and I just needed a big clean and my ensuite needed a clean. So I paid my au pair $20 an hour to spend five hours on that on the weekend on top of her usual 30 hours. Yeah. So things can go wrong, clearly. Yes. And on the au pair <laughs> side and on the family side. So what are some of the things that, not that we want to scare anyone really by talking about horror stories, but what are some of the things that go wrong from a family perspective? Well, because language is a second language for most of the au pairs, communication is really the big key. So there might be 
An au pair might not think that they're needed on an upcoming Saturday night, for example, and they might book something in and then a family thought that they told them that they needed them. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that is where I see often things come undone is a lot of um, communication. So it's really important. We often get families to do like a WhatsApp group or a Viber group, making sure that they're sort of texting each other or using a journal and having a, a clear outline of when they're needed and when they're not needed. That's where I'd see, be seeing quite a few things. Also, we're usually 95% of the au pairs we have are young women from Germany who are on an adventure course, you know, <laughs> adventure trail. So if um, they're in a family and it's going okay, but then they get a, you know, an invite to go around the world with some amazing hunk of a backpacker man that they've just met <laughs> up on the weekend then they might pick up sticks and go. And, hey, if I was a young, gorgeous 23-year-old from Germany, I might do the same thing. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so the reliability is perhaps that. not there. Yeah, I mean, they're here for a holiday and an yeah. adventure. So being in a mundane household with no fun, with screaming kids, is sometimes not, really not the dream that they thought Not the adventure that. that they were looking for. Yeah. So that's why it's got to go both ways, you know. Uh, you know, boring time with kids and everything just can't be the au pair's domain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we just recently had school holidays and I was like going, take the kids ice skating and do this and do that and go have lunch here today. What you get out of it is what you put into it. It's such a two-way relationship. I think there is, as anything, always lots of pros and cons. And for me, I've never been able to go, although I love the idea of it, I haven't lived in a house recently that has an extra room, which I think is a must, obviously, for an au pair. Yes, it is a definite must. They must have their own room or yeah. you need to put all your kids in bunk beds. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there is that option, throw them all in together. But it's just that for me, it's that thing of space and having that other person and not sure that I want to invite you know, another person into our, our time alone as a family when it already feels limited. <laughs> Especially when it's someone unknown. I guess you probably meet on Skype, do you, before they come? Yeah, you meet them on Skype yeah. and they interview each other before. Yeah. Long and yeah. Then at the moment, as I said, au pairs are so scarce. Mm. There are like oh, probably 20 families to every au pair that's available. Mm. Yeah. So it's really the au pair decides where they want to go and oh. they're all savvy. They're yes. all going, oh, where's that location? Oh, how much? And they're all on Google Maps seeing how close it is to the beach and to Fremantle and to Northbridge. And then they also, it's all about the look of the family and whether they get a comfortable feeling from the mum as well. Yes. And anyone who says, I need an au pair who just no nonsense and they need to be there for me when the kids at any chance, any au pair is going to go, oh, no, this arrangement I thought was going to be fun and you yeah. sound like a dragon lady. Like yeah. um, so <laughs> I'm not going to come and work for you. So it just is what it is, you know. They're usually young, fun, dynamic European girls that want to be involved with positive energy. Mm. And that's the key thing. Yeah. And if your husband likes walking around in just his undies at the time, <laughs> then it might not be for you. you know? <laughs> um, or if you do even, you know, it's, it's like having a housemate, you know. Yeah. You have to be very respectful of each other. I mean, I'm lucky with my house that we have two living areas and au pairs usually have their own laptop and can access Netflix yeah. room yeah. anyway. So you get time away from each other. And the key word with an au pair arrangement is respect. Mm. Is the au pair needs to respect your time and family time and you need to respect their time. 
if the au pair's off duty and your kids won't leave the au pair alone, yeah. obvious that the au pair wants some time on their own, then you've really got to pull them in line. If your kids are being disrespectful for an au pair, like even my six-year-old boy, sometimes he's like, you know, he's thinking about something, you've got to back up the au pair. The au pair is an extension of your parenting. They're not a, a slave, <laughs> yeah. which I see a lot of. <laughs> oh, Sue, thanks so much for all of that information about au pairs. And there's clearly a lot to think about in deciding whether or not having an au pair is something that is going to fit into your family. But while you're here, I'd also like to speak to you about your own juggle because, as you've mentioned, you've got a couple of kids yourself and you're also running three businesses amongst all the volunteer and charity work that you do. So to start off with, I'd really like to know, how did starting a business fit in with your career plans and starting a family? Well, I used to work in corporate um, at a non-for-profit called the Chamber of Commerce and Industry for years. And I went back to work when my eldest was four months old into a very demanding business development manager role. And it was just too much. Nothing changed really about my job when I went back, except for the hours I was getting paid. It was, I was still working 60 hours plus. So did you go back part-time or? I, I went back three days a week, but my, my role was very demanding. So I was just working. Non-stop. Much more than that, yeah. I just thought, no, I want to start my own business. Saw an opportunity with a skills shortage in Western Western Australia and had enough of work one day and all the travel I was doing and went out on my own. And I thought it would just be me driving around clients in a Camry, helping getting them rental properties. <laughs> but within about six months, I'd employed someone and within another year, I think I had 35 employees around Australia. Wow. That's so cool. it went crazy and I'd never managed one person before so at that point that's when we had nanny and it was just oh crazy times and my husband took some time off work but everything I do and all of my employees I'm very passionate about giving rewarding flexible careers to working parents and semi-retirees you know and that's across all three businesses that's what I like to offer and that's why I want to lead by example with showing big business as well as other smaller businesses how to do that. So why is employing mothers and retirees why is that important to you is it a business strategy? Yeah I think it's a hugely untapped resource And there's so much talent in that area. Um, My managing director of my relocation or my global mobility company, I employed her when she was 36 weeks pregnant with her first child. She started working for me in contractor arrangement. Now she's the managing director of my company and she's had another child since then as well. She didn't lose her brain when she had a baby then? No, no. no. And I think (laughs) it's funny that. I think employees, it's just that dance, you know, sort of how I was talking about with the au pairs and, uh, you know, it's that constant communication of how you're going, how you're travelling, what support do you need, um, have you got too much work, do you need me to lighten the load, giving people flexibility to go take the morning off and see their kids assembly. If you're giving, you know, I know if I had an emergency that, I needed to get into a file or something I couldn't find at 11 o'clock at night, I know I'd probably have five hands up in the air to help me because it's that constant give-take of managing people and flexibility. What's the most difficult part about managing a workplace that's so flexible? The very important thing is about 
expectations and setting those expectations from the beginning of people going, well, we're really flexible, but this is the communication that we have to have around you, not being there on a Wednesday morning, like really want you to make sure that you go every week with your dad to chemo. That's really important. Mm-hmm. But we teach our employees to come back with us, back to us with the solution straight away. So mm-hmm. it's all about that language and establishing at the beginning. So someone will come to me, hey, you know, dad's going through another round of treatment, so I'm going to go with him every Wednesday morning. So I'm going to work till five on a Thursday now. So we have those conversations with people when they first start. So then everyone is always knows that they can always come back and say, oh, I've got this, but I'm going to make up the hours then. And that's just how we work. Um, And most of our employees are um, part-time flexies. So they might have, you know, a base 10, 15 hours. And then some weeks they might do 25 hours sometimes weeks they might do 15 hours or we will do a time in lieu you know kind of scenario as well because there are times of the year you know that are crazier than others Mm. and I think that's really important and I think time in lieu is so important for, for people to be able to take the time off when they really need it with their family or other things that are going on and then they can make up that time. The time question is always interesting to me because there's two schools of thought here. There's one that you pay people based on their time and so, you know, they have their 15 hours and if they work more, then you pay them more for the extra hours they work. And the other view is that you pay people based on the output or the outcomes of what they achieve. So it doesn't matter how many hours they take to do it you pay them, you know, X dollars for achieving such and such a result. I think that second option is harder because it's hard to calculate, but I personally, I prefer that. How do you approach that? It depends on what their role is. So I I do both options within my business. So with one of them, uh, uh, you know, some people will have that, you know, you do 15 hours. Like if you work in accounts and, you know, what you do is to the hour, then it's option one and you get paid by the hour and you can have a time in lieu. If you've got a business development person working in your business and, you know, the last thing you want is a business development person on the hours, you might have a set retainer, but if they're not bringing the money in the door, then what's the point? So we've done profit shares and those kind of things, so sort of a base salary and then a profit share that's paid out once a quarter is, I think, a really important way to go. It's a good way of thinking about it. You know, people who are on the books who have a time, a job to deliver, you know, you've got to look, is this an employer who's in sales who is affecting the bottom line of my business? Then we put them on an incentive. If they're there to just perform a task, then, and it depends on their personality as well. A lot of people just like to come in and then go out again. <laughs> yeah, and that's the flip side of flexibility that's often not spoken about. Some people don't want it. To them, it's yeah. I want to work, you know, nine till three or whatever their hours might be, and that's that, and they don't want that to change. I know, get... but a lot of those people usually don't last in my organisation. <laughs> I'm not a clock-on, clock-off kind of person, and it's sort of like you're either in or you're out, you know? That brings back that whole boundaries topic, which comes up so often, the idea of some people want those strict hours because they want boundaries around when they work and when they're not working. Whereas as I know, and I know you know, Sue, when you do your own business, especially, there are no real boundaries. Or if there What's are, boundaries? they're very, very flexible, <laughs> very, very flexible. So, and I think that is 
something that everyone has to make their own determination around is whether or not you want to have some strict boundaries or how flexible you I know and I feel like it's a thing of the past if you want boundaries clock in clock out then go and work at Coles if you want a meaningful career where you can actually go and be treated for the above and beyond mentality that you might be giving to an organization then come and work for me (laughs) it's just like if you're in the factory you know pumping things in and that you know maybe you can do that but you know if you want to get up the ladder then you've got to think outside the box and actually yeah, and if you want from your employer, you've got to give. It's got to be that two-way street. Absolutely. Yeah. We always like to end our interviews with a couple of standard questions that we ask everyone. So take it away, Lucy. I always get to ask this one because it's my favourite. Do you have words that you live by, a mantra? Get out there and be passionate and love what you do. And don't waste time. They're probably the really big things that I live my life by. It's like, why would you waste a, a life? You know, there are so many people that are, I'm privileged to be 40 years of age. I'm privileged to have this day today and I'm going to make the most of it and I'm going to lift up as many people along the way as I can. That's cool. And if you were to give one piece of advice to all the other women out there like you and I and Lucy who are managing this juggle of career and family, what would it be? Oh, take one day at a time (laughs) and try and not put too many expectations on yourself and be open to pivoting, you know. Um, If something's not working, maybe try something else a little bit, give and take. Don't put so much, don't laden yourself with so much luggage that you're constantly burdened. And also don't be afraid to ask for help. Yes. Um, mum's at school. Hey, I'm not going to get there. I'm stuck in a meeting. Can you grab Leo? Yeah. And then I'll do it for them. So that constant give and take. Definitely. Now, we can find you in several different places. So we're going to include links to your website all in our show notes so people can go to the show notes and find out how they can get in touch with you and how they can find out about Aussie pairs and all the other wonderful things that you do from following the links there. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Sue. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And come and join us in our Facebook group, The Juggle Community, over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash The Juggle Community. I always forget that. Um, Perhaps you can tell us about your own childcare experiences, whether they have been with au pairs or just more traditional kinds of childcare. We'll see you there. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.